Well, let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to see tonight, really, uh, the mercy of God and the wisdom and sovereignty of God on display in giving us the church, giving us the church of the living God. I know the church is here for his name. In fact, that's our series, a church for his name. That ultimately is why we're here. But just as with anything else in life, anything that God gives us, uh, yes, it is for his honor and glory, but it also is for our good, for our own good. This morning in Sunday school, I tried to get that across a little bit about uh, the Ten Commandments, how that God, God gave us the Ten Commandments for our own good, to help us and protect us and keep us in the right place. And so everything God does is always for our own good. Well, here's the account of Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches a powerful message. And we uh, read his message last Sunday night and saw that this truth holds true for us, that as witnesses, which by the way, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are. We, we are witnesses. And as witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ in the last days, and according to Peter and according to Paul, uh, and according to the book of Hebrews, we are in the last days. We don't know how long the last days will last. And of course, there is the, the, uh, the uh, tribulation period that's coming and so forth. The last days, the official part there, the day of the Lord and all those things that take place. But we are witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ in the last days. And what we've been called to do of God is to explain to lost people who Jesus is so they could be saved. Explain who he is so that they might be saved. That's what Peter was doing as a witness. And that's what the others were doing who labored alongside of him. They gave witness to the, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his coming again that others might be saved. So let's see the result then of preaching the gospel. What happens when we preach proclaim, share one-on-one, what happens when we as believers share the gospel? Verse number 37, it says, Now when they heard this, when they heard Peter's message, let me read verse 36 just real quick, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, when they heard that Jesus was the Lord, that they were supposed to call on for salvation, and when they heard that Jesus was the Messiah, the one, and that they had crucified him, had him crucified, when they heard this, and when they heard that he was of great power and authority, the highest power and authority, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do. What shall we do? That's the right, right reply for all of us as we hear preaching. Given that truth, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, uh, the promise there would be in reference to the Holy Spirit's coming that he had discussed from the book of Joel. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. Can I put it on pause here just a moment again? So much so that we sang tonight, the comforter has come and we're far off. From Jerusalem, it, that would be us, and of course other Jews maybe that lived outside of Jerusalem, but it may even be an indication of the Gentiles that would be uh, brought into the faith, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, that would be crooked or perverse generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread 
and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that, were belie- and all that believed were together. And had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods. And parted, the, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the Lord added to the church. And that's what the church did. This is who they were at that time. And I'm thankful that we can look into this account and see a lot of similarities to what's taking place right here tonight. That's a blessing. So tonight I want to preach to you about this. When the gospel is preached, what happens? When the gospel is preached. May God bless the preaching of his word. And you may be seated. <clears throat> Just preached a youth rally on Friday night in Iola, Kansas. They are celebrating today. Um, that's on eastern, the very far eastern side of Kansas. They're celebrating it as a church 60 years uh, as a Bible-preaching Baptist church. It's quite a blessing that they are 60 years into that. Same uh, basically as Southwest. We are just celebrating 61 years this past year as well. Their theme was uh, shave and a haircut. That's what their theme was for that particular youth rally, a shave and a haircut. And uh, so they had a theme of uh, old-fashioned, old-timey barbershops. And they invited a bald man to come and preach at this barbershop-themed youth rally. That was pretty ironic, I thought, inviting the bald man to come. So, anyways, Brother Rocky uh, Randall's a youth pastor, and uh, he was using that just uh, uh, as a little bit of an illustration and... And how did it, you know, it's hard to find a good old-fashioned barbershop nowadays. Just a good, good old, you know what I mean by that? Just a, I'm talking about a man's barbershop. No, don't get me started because I'll, I'll go way too long on that. I, I'm convinced of this, though, that for America to survive, <laughs> it's pretty big, isn't it? For America to survive and to make it, we need to start three key things. Of course, we need to start good Bible-preaching churches Start good, godly families and good old-fashioned barbershops. If we're going to make it, I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to take. Yep, starting those three. I'm, I'm almost so convinced of that, that, that as much as I'm interested in starting uh, churches, I'm also interested in starting good old-fashioned barbershops. You know, it's just hard to find one nowadays. And I have a good one up on the north side that I go to. You might say, for what? Well, fellowship. <laughs> fellowship. That's primarily what it is, and uh, but he cuts a few hairs, uh, literally, and, and but we have good fellowship. That's what we do. But, uh, you know, that is kind of an icon of America, isn't it, in a lot of ways, and uh, I, I like to bring my boys there, and because they learn a, a lot about life, hunting, uh, farming, and politics, conservative politics, and I mean, just good stuff right there at the barber shop. I mean, I take them to Sunday school too. But I also want to take them to the barber shop as much as I can as my schedule permits uh, to do that. Um, well, the, the thing about old-fashioned barber shops and that we don't have time to go into a whole big explanation, the history of it, but, but there's a big change that's come in America and there's a lot of salons and, and uh, I'm not going to get on you if you're a man, you go to a salon. I, I, I'm not. I... Uh, I want to, but I'm not. Um, but I, uh, I talked to my barber about it. He's a believer. We, have, we really do have a lot of good uh, fellowship and such. But he, uh, uh, he uh, was sharing with me. I said, now, now you know, uh, Brother Lee, it's kind of difficult, you know, to find just a good old-fashioned barber shop nowadays. I, I had one back in Kentucky that I, I had my hair cut ever since I had hair, when I had hair, and and uh, from, I'm telling you, from like two years old, I, or whenever I got my hair, first haircut, it was there. 
And so today, if I go back, the same, the Cal's Barbershop, two brothers are still cutting hair. Over 40 years they've been cutting hair there. It's a blessing. I'm telling you, it's a blessing. And then when we were in Missouri, one of the biggest things I was concerned about finding was not just a good Bible preaching church, but a good barbershop. And I found one there in Republic, Missouri, and the guy had one haircut, short. That's all it was. And, and you know, it's a short haircut and uh, uses a straight razor. And, and the thing about an old-fashioned barbershop is that the barber is just as straight as his razor is, and that's a blessing. That good preaching right there, yeah, that'll preach. Yep. So he's just as straight as his razor is, and uh, and so in any case, uh, but I said to Brother Lee, I said, Lee, you know, it's kind of hard to find a good old-fashioned barber shop nowadays, and he said, yeah, you know, anymore a guy can't, you know, there's not a lot of barber colleges and not a lot uh, going on to train a new generation on, on how to be a barber. You know, they'll send them to salon school or whatever, and they'll teach them a little bit about barbering, but uh, but not not a whole lot, you know. And, and so I said, man, something needs to be done here. We need to, we've got a Bible college, but we need to start a barber college as well. I mean, a true, authentic, Bible-believing Baptist barber college. And that doesn't even sound right, but still. And so he's, uh, he was just sharing with me how hard that is. Well, you know, as hard as that is to find, it's also hard to find a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-preaching Baptist church. You know, now, now what we, we have, we ought to be thankful for it. Before God, we ought to be thankful for it. And it's not just our church that is. And I'm, I'm glad about that because there's a lot of locations in the world that need a Bible-preaching church but it is tragic, and if you've been on a, a vacation and you've tried to find a church, sometimes just to find a church that's meeting on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, or let alone a church that once you get there at one of those times that they're, they're going to open the Bible and try to go and explain the Bible and, and have a, a good God-honoring service. It's just, it's, a, it's sad, but that in our, in our own country, that it's getting harder and harder to find just a good Bible preaching church in every city. And that is why we need to have a good Baptist college that is teaching young men and young ladies to, to be old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. And, and the only reason to be old-fashioned is if what the old-fashioned ways has is timeless. So I like the term old-fashioned, but I even like the term timeless even better. Because there, yeah, anyways, we don't have time to preach that either. I'm trying to find time to preach what I'm supposed to preach, but just a lot of things along the way here. But why, why should we have a church that is focused on preaching the Bible? Well, why should you have a barbershop that's focused on cutting hair? Well, that's an obvious question. Obvious answer to that question. In fact, they did a skit uh, Friday night. Can I tell you about that? They they did a skit, and this guy came in, had a big old wig on, you know, just for the skit, and and uh, came in saying he needed a haircut, but he also, you know, wanted to to have his shoulder worked on because it was kind of hurting, and wanted to massage there and get that worked out. And somebody just shined his boots. It was a redneck guy. I mean, it, uh, we were in redneck country for sure. And and so, anyways, uh, he wanted his boots shined and. And, you know, wanted to know what he had by way of entertainment. And the, and the barber uh, who was playing the part of the barber, actually, Brother Rocky Randall, said, Look, I'm a barber. The thing I do is I cut hair. Well, I'm not here just to get my hair cut. I want, and, the, and the skit went on, but it made a powerful point. And the point became obvious to everybody that was there that a lot of times people walk in the doors of a church and they want this and they want this and they want to be entertained and they want this given attention and that given attention when really um, I'm a pastor who preaches the Bible. And, and that's what I've been trained to do. And so uh, that, that's what you encourage me to do, by the way, as well. I'm not saying that you don't. And, and so it's very easy to preach in a place like this. But in, in many ways across America, unfortunately, for whatever reason, preachers are feeling the pressure to become an entertainer or to become a CEO or to become a political activist or become this or that. When God has called us to do one thing, preach the word. 
feed the flock of God. Open the Bible and explain what the Bible says. Have content when you come and stand before people. And, and so that's so important. I know that's, that's what we stand for and, and what we want and what we desire. And it's certainly what took place back there in the book of Acts. But why? Why do we emphasize that? And, and why do we make so much about preaching or teaching the Bible? Which tonight, by the way, I don't want to just emphasize preaching, though that's certainly what is happening here in Acts chapter 2. As Peter stood to preach... And to proclaim, and the word preach means to herald, and a herald doesn't do it in a sissified way. I'm not talking to you tonight about salon-style preachers, okay? I'm talking to you tonight about men who will thunder forth with what voice God's given them. A herald didn't come and say, hey, everybody. If you would please now direct your attention. No, he said, hear ye, hear ye. And I imagine that over time his voice might have got a little bit raspy because the king had something to say. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that our king has something to say. Every single day, every single week, the king of kings has something to say. And God has heralds that just come and proclaim the message. It's not the herald's message. It's the message of the king. And that's why it is my job, which, by the way, I could preach a little bit to some some uh, the, uh, those who are called to preach. Let me tell you, it's not your message in the first place, and it's not my message in the first place. We better make sure that the message we're getting across is the message that the, that the king sent us to preach. See? And I, I don't want to... I used to do this when, when I was uh, getting ready to preach as a, a young man that was... Surrendered to preach, I'd get a, a, what I considered to be a real good illustration. And then I'd go and find a Bible verse to go along with it. Or so I thought it went along with it. It got kind of close. I'd go ahead and use it anyways. And so, anyways, but over the course of time, as I had men who taught me about preaching, I began to realize, wait a minute, here's what I really ought to do. Go to the text first, get the message, and then, if need be, find an illustration that'll go along with it there. That'll change everything. That way I'm not reading into the message, but rather I'm trying to let it just come out as it is. Which, by the way, as you live your life day to day, you you don't need my ideas about life. You really do need God's word. And, and it, to be rightly divided. And so that is the job of the preacher. That is the job of the teacher. But wait a minute, it does not stop there. That is also the job of the dad. That is the job of the husband. That is the job of the mom, the wife. That is the job of the, of the teacher at school, the Christian school teacher and such. That is the job of the friend in the workplace to try to explain the Bible to others. You know what the Bible says. It's your job to explain it to somebody else. It is the job of a Christian to explain to a lost person who Jesus is. It is the job of a Christian to explain to a new believer what the Christian life is all about. And so thus, it's everybody's job. So I don't want to leave you out tonight by emphasizing preaching because what, we're, what I'm trying to get across is simply this. What happens when the gospel is proclaimed? And thus we'd find reason to proclaim the gospel. What happens when you share the gospel? What happens when you make it known? It doesn't have to be the preacher making it known. What happens when you make it known where you live to your friends, to your classmates, to your neighbors, to your family members? What happens when this Bible is opened up and the words come out and are applied to hearts? I want you to see three, three things here tonight that happened here in the, in the book of Acts that I believe continue to happen to this day, and therefore we ought to preach. Yep, just good old-fashioned preaching that is old-fashioned, but it also is timeless. You got it. When the Bible is preached, the sinner is convicted. In verse number 37, look at it again. It says, now when they... What? Heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. That means that they were stabbed or pricked, pained. It's a strong word that, that means to be stabbed or pierced deeply. What they heard caused great distress. 
We're living in a day and time when nobody wants to cause anybody distress. Just let everybody come to church and just kind of be entertained or let everybody just come. And, and, and you know, don't, don't preach on those issues and those topics. And, and uh, you know, don't, don't preach against this and that. Just make us feel good. Paul said that in the latter days, the time's going to come when they're going to have itching ears and they're going to heap to themselves. They're going to add to themselves all kinds of teachers who will, hear them what, who will tell them what they want to hear. But that's not what God has called us to do, church. God has called us as a church to tell people what they desperately need to hear, whether they want to hear it or not. Now, I don't think we need to be mean about it. I don't think we need to, to, to uh, well, to go back to the analogy of the barbershop. I don't think we need to get them in the chair and scalp them. Right? Yep. I, I think that we need to give them a, a real good cut. Are you with me? Yep. I've had some, I've had some close ones. I had a, a haircut one time down in Mississippi. Then it took a long time. We were on vacation. And I needed a haircut. And I still, my family still refers to that as our Mississippi haircut. And, and no more will I ever get my haircut in Mississippi. I, I'm sure there's good places out there. But as a kid, I'm telling you, they just scout me. I'm just to the bone. Yep. It wasn't pretty. I'll tell you that. It was not pretty at all. Well, I don't believe as people come in here, we get them in the pew and say, all right, come on now. (laughs) You with me? But at the same time, we're going to have to get the word out that does some cutting. And, And when you open up the Bible and you preach Jesus and you lift up how holy that he is and how faultless that he is, and then you see your own life, and you see the way that you treat God sometimes, despite how good he's been to you, I'll tell you what will happen along the way. As you hear this Bible preach, you'll be pricked in your heart, and the preacher will step on your toes, is kind of how we say it, and somebody will say, who told him what I've been doing? Oh, we've got spies. (laughs) No, no. You don't even have to have spies because this word is alive. It's a living word. It's quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, and it listen, it's a, dis, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nobody has to tell the preacher what you've been doing. He could read about it right here. And the same is true for me. And so I, I'm telling you, as I study the word of God... The Word of God, first of all, is applied to the preacher, and it makes the preacher get on his knees and say, Dear God, please forgive me for, please help me too. And so when you hear the Word, when the, when the gospel is preached, when the Word is preached, which the, the Word is the gospel, the gospel is the Word, when, when the Word is preached, sinners get convicted. Therefore, we need to preach because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if people are no longer sinning, then we no longer need to do preaching. But, seeing that folks are still sinning against God, there needs to be preaching. Even for saved people. Hey, listen, your hair still grows, doesn't it? Well, I mean, some more than others, but, but your hair still grows. Mine still grows, and I have to go, believe it or not, I have to go to the barber and get it cut off. See, or, or trim back. Are, are you with me here? And, and I'm not saying that some bald person has reached sinless perfection. Don't mess up the illustration. I'm not saying that at all. Okay, but, but what I am saying is that that along the way and just going going a, a you know a, a good solid month or so, I'm going to need a haircut. Isn't that right? I need it on a regular basis. Yep. In fact, the key to getting your haircut is just in fact making it so people don't even realize you got your haircut. Say again. The key to... Are we talking about getting haircuts or Bible stuff? A little bit of both. The key to getting your haircut is just keep up with it enough so people don't even notice. The key to living the Christian life is to stay in the Word so much that it's not like you've gotten woolly. Man, you need a cut. What are you talking about? And then when you get, oh, you got a haircut, didn't you? Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> it was obvious. In fact, I, I appreciate this. Uh, one pastor uh, volunteered to not cut his hair for a couple weeks. And it wasn't like long, but it was just kind of scraggly, scruffy. And, 
This was a brave soul. One of the youth rallies always have weird games. And so this one was, if you did well in the game, you got to take a whack at the preacher's hair. And so they took, oh yeah, he was nasty looking by the time they got done. Of course, they cleaned it up as best they could, but gave him a good cut. But, but his hair was like fuzzy. <laughs> I'm not volunteering, Brother Seth. I just want to make that clear that I'm not volunteering to do something like that. But I'm telling you, after he got done, you could tell a big difference. The other lesson I learned about that is don't let teens cut hair. (laughs) That was a major lesson at that point. But do you see what I'm saying? You and I need to be under the constant influence of the Word of God. Because flesh has a way of growing, and, and, and your sin, what I'm saying is your sinful ways has a way of coming out. And, and you may think, well, man, do we, need to be, do we need to be in church this much? I mean, come on, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Do we need to be in church this much? Well, what kind of a heart do you have? What kind of a heart do you have? Well, God says that the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Your heart is so deceitful that it'll make you think, well, I don't need to go to church today. I'm real good. I got cut real. He, he, he cut me. He gave me a real good trim last week. I'm good for another month. You go without preaching for a, a whole month, and I'm telling you, your life will look different. There's no doubt about it. Your life will look different. Hey, listen, your heart is so wicked, and my heart is so wicked, that I need to be daily in the Word. It, it's not enough even just that I get preaching every week, and every Sunday, Wednesday, and so forth. It's that I need to be daily in the Bible. My heart is so wicked, I'm just confessing to you tonight, that my heart is so wicked that I need to be under the authority of the Word of God every day. And I can sure tell it when I've been out from under the authority of the Word of God, and it'll show up in your life if you stop reading your Bible. Isn't that true? Well, here's the deal. This word brings conviction. Therefore, we ought to preach it and proclaim it and make it known. Number two, we ought to preach the Bible because the repentant can be saved. The repentant can be saved. They said this, wait, what what do we do? I, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. We acknowledge that we crucified the Lord. What should we do? I, I, do you hear the urgency in their voice? Peter rather says this, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse number 38, for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now there's some question about the interpretation of this verse and and I'm not going to take the time to go through all possible interpretations here tonight, but it it could be that he's saying that, that you have to be water baptized to be saved. Some teach that. Some teach that you have to be baptized in water in order to be saved. And that's that they go to this verse to, to try to teach that. Uh, so that's, that's uh, one possibility. But let's look at chapter 3 and verse number 19. Peter again is preaching. They're convicted of their sin. They just healed the lame man. And notice what he says in verse number 19. Here's the solution to the problem about how to be saved. Verse number 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, now wait a minute. Where's the baptism part? No, it's not there. Okay. All right. Okay, well, let's try another passage. Maybe it's there. All right, uh, Acts chapter 10. Okay, we doing okay? Acts chapter 10. So maybe maybe Peter just left it out accidentally. Um Acts chapter 10, in verse 43, he's preaching there to Cornelius, a a, a Gentile man who's needing to be saved. In verse 42, he says, He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Okay, now, where's the baptism part? Well, let's keep reading. While, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. Okay, evidently they were saved. Is that right? They were saved. All right, uh, let's see, drop down to verse number 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost? Oh, okay, now wait a minute. Did you see that? Evidently they were already saved before they got in the water. Isn't that right? They were already saved by the time they got in the water. 
Well, evidently that's the way it is. In fact, to say, catch this now, to say that water baptism is essential to salvation is to contradict everything that this Bible has said. Baptism is not a part of a person's belief. Baptism is a picture of a person's belief. Uh, a young man's going to be baptized, I believe, tonight. He was saved as a result of uh, Friend Day. Well, he's not being saved tonight. He's already saved. And that's what Peter's preaching. So when you come to Acts 2.38 and he says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it would be foreign to to the preachers of the early church if a person repented of their sins, was saved by the grace of God, and they didn't get baptized. That would be weird to them. That would be foreign to them. Not because baptism was a part of their salvation, but they preached it then that you're to repent, which, by the way, salvation has always been by grace, through faith, apart from works. It always has been, always will be. And so the same way that Abraham was saved is the same way that you and I were saved. Abraham was not baptized and to be saved, and neither were we. But we were baptized because we were saved. It's the same thing. And so Peter here is not preaching baptismal regeneration. Peter here is preaching, you repent, placing faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved, and thus you follow him in baptism. So what we need to do then is just simply this. Preach the word. People get under conviction. Isn't that how you got saved? Somebody stood up and told you that you were a sinner, but they also told you what Jesus did, and that if you'd believe that, that he, what he did was sufficient for you, that, and you called upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved, then that's what happened to you. That's what happened to them. And as a result of that, you were baptized. As a result of that, not for salvation, but as a result of being saved, you follow the Lord in baptism. But here's why we need to preach tonight. We need to preach because sinners are convicted when we preach. We need to preach tonight, number two, because the repentant can be saved. But that would also imply this. If a person does not repent, they perish. They must repent. And repentance means a change of mind. That's what the word itself means. Well, what do they change their mind about? They better change their mind about Jesus. Whereas they had rejected him and pushed him aside, now they needed to repent, change their mind about Jesus, and instead of rejecting him as their Messiah, they needed to receive him as their Messiah. Yep. So when the Bible is preached, people are saved. In fact, it even goes past our physical or spiritual salvation. Even in, the, in verse number 40, he says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Listen, that doesn't mean you save yourself spiritually. But what that means is, is that once you're in Christ, he calls you out of this wicked, perverse world. Boy, are you thankful for that tonight. That your life was in a mess and in a wrong crowd. And, and even if you were saved as a child, he saved you from the wrong crowd. Well, thank God for that, because we still live today in an untoward or a, a perverse, crooked generation that condones all kinds of immorality and violence. I'm so thankful to God that he saved us out of it. That's why this Bible needs to be preached. Because even as a saved individual, you have a, you have a propensity to want to fit in with the world. As perverse as it is, you have a propensity in you, a a tendency in you, just like I do, to want to fit in with the world and be entertained by the world and enjoy the pleasures of this world. We've got that propensity. This past Thursday, I taught a class on on music in in personal spiritual development because music affects your spiritual life. I shared with the class how that God saved me out of the wrong music. Some of you, God has saved you out of that wrong music. The music of this world emphasizes immorality and violence and and rejection of God. I'm telling you, so why in the world would a believer want to listen to that kind of stuff? That's why we need to preach. 
to loosen up our hearts, to let go of that which is untoward, which is wrong. Number three. All right? When the Bible is preached, sinners are convicted. When the Bible is preached, repentant sinners are saved. When the Bible is preached, repentant sinners who have been saved are assembled together with other repentant sinners who have been saved. Yep. When the Bible is preached, God collects them. You've been collected. Isn't that good? You know, uh, there's collectors who collect things that are valuable, right? There's collectors who collect weird things too, right? But there's, there's people who collect things that they deem to be valuable. Look who God deems to be valuable. The likes of us. Not that we're anything in and of ourselves. But he chose to pull us together. To assemble us together. To gather us together. We're together. I'm glad. I like it. You've been saved by the grace of God and and baptized by a a Baptist church to have the right authority. Then if you maybe were baptized here, obviously that brought you into the membership of this church. You're baptized somewhere else. You could transfer your membership into this church. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm so glad that God has gathered us together. How did that happen? How did it happen that now there's this gathering? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. The Bible got preached. Sinners got convicted. Sinners were saved. And God gathered sinners. That's what he does when the word is preached. And then those who are saved may go out like what Brother Josiah is doing and others are going to do. And they're going to go out and here's what they're going to do. They're going to preach the gospel in other locations where it's not been preached. And guess what's going to happen? Sinners are going to get convicted. Then sinners are going to get saved. And then those sinners who get saved are going to need to be gathered together in a church. That's how churches get started. That's why we're here. And so this is what they did. They gladly received his word. Verse 41, they were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody might say, well, I thought the church started on the day of Pentecost. Wait a minute. What God says here is that they were added to them. If they're added to them, that means they were already there. They go too deep for anybody. We doing all right. If they were added to them, that means they already existed. The church was already started and these people were just added to them. The church grew. That's what it was. It's a beautiful thing. They were gathered together and they steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. That means, that means this. They spent a lot of time in. Where did the church then spend a lot of their time? What did they do? If they're gathered together, what did they do? It's a good question. What did they do? Well, look at verse, uh, verse number 42. They were in the apostles' doctrine. They had teaching. It's like they couldn't get enough of the word. They had the apostles' doctrine. They fellowshiped. They got together and shared what was common in Jesus. They had breaking of bread. What does that mean? They ate together. (laughs) That's good. Some Baptists are awake now. (laughs) They ate together. Yeah. They'd get together for an assembly. Or they'd get together in a home and they'd have a meal. That's what they'd do. You say, well, I thought that was the Lord's Supper. Well, no, probably it's just that they ate together. They had meals together. And they prayed together. And they were amazed at what God was doing in their midst. Verse number 43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They were amazed what God was doing just when they got together. They said, man, good things are happening right here. In fact, they were so enthused about it. Look at it. They all, all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and, dep- and parted them to men as every man had need. You know what they did? When they got together, they cared about one another. If a brother had a need, then they tried to help take care of that brother or that sister. When the widows had need, they tried to take care of them. They even sold their possessions to do it, to be able to take care of them right. That's a church family, trying to take care of one another. That's what they did then. That's what we're trying to do now. It says that they continued, uh, oh, what's that word? 
It's there, isn't it? Daily. This was so important to them, they got together every day. You mean more than Sunday and Wednesday? Every day. They got together every day. They gathered together daily with one accord in the temple. So there was a large gathering, but also breaking bread from what? House to house. They so loved the Lord Jesus that they invited other Christians over to their home just to have fellowship about who Jesus was. What did they do while they were in their home? Well, they were eating together, eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. They, they got together in homes. 3,000 would gather together there plus in that temple area. But in addition to that, they got together in s- small groups. Brother Gaddis just said small groups. Well, it's house to house. It's smaller than a big gathering. Well, do you realize we do the same thing every week? We have small groups over here in this uh, educational wing. We have a small group, the ambassadors, landmark, crusaders, pathfinders, five-year-old boys, tigers, frogs, monkeys. (laughs) That fits five and four-year-olds, doesn't it? That's just the boy side. Yeah, we have small groups. Why? Because we get together in fellowship in a smaller way. Because that way our lives get connected closer. Uh, I can't have a conversation right now with everybody individually. Okay? But when I get in a smaller group like a Sunday school class, I can have that. In fact, we just thank God a lot this morning in the Family Foundations class because we, we love Sunday school. I believe one of the most important things going on here at Southwest Baptist Church is Sunday school. And, and everybody needs to go to Sunday school. Isn't that a song? If it's not, it should be. Everybody ought to go to Sunday school. Yep, everybody ought to be in Sunday school. And, and in addition to that, listen, here's what believers... I'm just trying to tell you what they did back then. They had big gatherings where they had big preaching, but they also got together in, in groups when they studied the Bible together, and they ate together. So it's biblical for you to go out tonight after church and get together with other believers and go eat at a restaurant or have somebody over at your house. It's right there in the Bible. Just go ahead and have fellowship. Man, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Yep. What do you do when you get there? Well, you praise God and and you have favor with all the people. You know what that means? People appreciated who they were. Well, they lived out their Christian life and they preached out their Christian life. And what happens when people live it out when it's not just a once a week kind of thing? What happens when it's a life thing and plus the word is preached? I'll tell you what happens. The Lord adds to the church. What people love brings them together. Have you noticed that? What people love brings them together. You know, tomorrow, I believe it is, marks a national holiday for Oklahoma as deer season comes in. (laughs) You, You know what happens? People who love hunting, guess who they get together with? Other hunters. People who love scrapbooking. Is that a word? People who love to do scrapbooks. They get together with other people who love to do scrapbooks. I haven't been to one of those meetings. (laughs) I have no idea what they do. People who love books get in book clubs. People who love cars get together in parking lots. (laughs) And open up a hood and look at engines. That's what they do. People who love cars, trucks, get together with other people who love cars and trucks. People who love sports, get with other people who love sports. I've been to both an OU and an OSU football game. They're both weird. 
I'm talking about just the, the tradition in both of those settings and, and knowing what to do at appropriate times. I mean, there's more tradition there than in most churches. A sea of orange that is there or, or, or crimson and cream, the, 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 the colors that are there, everybody coming in and gathering together. Well, what they love has brought them together. And what they love, watch this now, especially as you think about some, the Oklahoma state being a football state, as they come together for that huge service. <laughs> then what they do is they go out everywhere still wearing those colors. And they put it on their, the front of their cars on their license plate, or they'll pay a little bit more to get it on their official license plate, and they'll wear it as a shirt, they'll wear it as a hat. They, they, no, we were on a visit the other day, Brother Aaron and I were down south, and we ran across this yard that had mowed into their yard about 10 by 15 or something like that. Oh, you! In the yard! I wonder who they were for. What people love brings them together, and then they go out and represent that. What has brought us together here tonight? Hopefully it's love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has affected the way that we dress, and it's affected what we do in a service, and it affects why we are here, and what ought to happen. How sad it would be for that to happen for a football team, for people to come into a huge stadium, 50 plus thousand people going out wearing orange or, or wearing whatever color they wear and going out representing their team out there. And yet the church, the true and living church of the Lord Jesus Christ has people who go out and do not represent the Lord or misrepresent the Lord, wear His colors, so to speak, on Sunday, but wear the other team's colors on another day of the week? I'm telling you, a true OU fan is not going to wear burnt orange. Is that right? They're not going to do it. I, 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 I can just guarantee you, I've been here long enough to know the customs. They're not going to do that. They wouldn't do it if you took their child and you dressed them up and they're an OU fan and you dressed them up in Texas uh, garb and, and you took their picture or you, or you just had them over and you dressed them up that way. They would call that child abuse. <laughs> Why? Because they're true to their team. And yet young people will go out and dress like the world and adults will go out and gossip like the world gossips or... Senior saints maybe even will go out and, and, and and be gossips or dishonest or whatever, just like others can. Why is that? Because we're sinners. But you got to remember, when you were saved, you changed colors. God changed you and put you on a brand new team. And you're not here in this world to represent this world. You are here on this world to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe as these Christians, they got together every day and every week in the Lord's day. And then as they went out, wherever they went, people knew that they were Christians. And that's exactly how it ought to be today. And they did it with gladness. It was not like, oh, man, we got to go to church again. No, they did it with gladness. I appreciate the testimony that Brother Terry shared with us of an adult that's been coming and, and just saved and baptized here. And she gets on the bus now, and this, this adult uh, member does, and, and they are rejoicing, happy in, in the Lord, that they get to come to church that day. Gladness of heart. That's it. If that's not there, there must be a love for the other team. These members of this church, they were excited about the Lord, and thus they were excited about church. I believe that ought to be our heart as well. Excited about the Lord, who He is, so much so that it brings us together to love the Lord and then go out and represent Him everywhere. Well, it's hard to find a church like that, isn't it? It's kind of like trying to find an old-fashioned barbershop. Thank God they can be found. And I'm convinced there needs to be more of them. So what do we need to do? Well, barbers need to cut hair and preachers need to preach. And Christians need to live out their Christian lives. And when that is done, sinners get convicted. But they get convicted so they can be saved. 
And once they're saved, they ought to be baptized and joined into a Bible-preaching church. So they can go out and convict somebody of sin by preaching the Bible. So another person gets saved. And on and on it goes. That's church life. It's a beautiful thing. Let's stand together tonight. Say, Brother Gaddis, I'm not called to preach. That's okay. You can have somebody over to your house for the sake of the gospel. You could teach a Sunday school class. You could work a bus route. You could sing in the choir. You could serve as an usher. You could work in the nursery so others could hear the preaching. So many ways you could support the work of the gospel. You can personally share Christ with those who are about you. Are you doing that? It's a beautiful model of a church here. If the Lord came and He evaluated your life and He evaluated our church, according to His design of the church, how would He rate it? I sure pray that He'd find us faithful to Him, and where He doesn't, may God help us to repent and get it right. Amen. Father, we come to You tonight, and I pray that You'd bless this invitation. Your Word brings conviction. Your word brings salvation, both spiritual, eternal salvation, as well as salvation from the ways of the world. I pray you'd help us tonight. And I pray, dear God, that as we see sinners saved, that you'd help us to work diligently to see them baptized and see them joined into the membership of the church and to find their place in a Sunday school class and to find friendships right here. God, would you help us not to be just focused on our immediate friends, but to look around and to find somebody that needs to be assimilated into the church body a little bit further and help them to have good and godly friends. Put it on somebody's heart even tonight, dear God, to invite someone to go with them. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us to have real, true, biblical Christianity. In Jesus' name, amen.